creating a new friend, the art to managing your Chinese business partner is they'll want to turn you into a brother. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Global from Asia, episode 149. If I hear more questions about what's going to happen in the world now that Trump is the U.S. president, I am going to go insane. A lot of people in the space of, you know, global business and expats and citizenships have getting a huge spike in traffic. I know a lot of Americans are looking for options. Let's just stay calm and see what happens. But if you're looking for places and uh, April's not too far away, we have picked our second annual cross-border summit dates for Shenzhen, China. And a lot of you guys have been excited about it and asking me the dates to confirm your schedules. It's going to be Friday, April 14th and Saturday, April 15th. Crossbordersummit.com. Let's make it happen. Okay, and now let's bring back one of our most popular guests, Marcus Marr. He is an Australian super entrepreneur who has been in China for decades and always is sharing tons of experience. And he was on with us back in episode 55, globalfromasia.com slash episode 55. And that was when he was sharing kind of boots on the ground stories of entrepreneurship in China, which was really, really cool. And today he's going to share some perspectives on how he has managed Chinese business people's expectations, let's call it, from dealing with investors in China to staff to partners. So this is show 149, and you can get the show notes at globalfromasia.com slash episode 149. So let's tune in. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into another Global From Asia podcast. We have with us one of our favorite guests, Marcus. So you were back with us on episode number 55, which was quite a while ago. And thank you again for coming on. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be here. And I love the interesting subjects you come up with. I try my best. We've we've been preparing a little bit beforehand and you have notes and this is going to be a, a huge topic that will be almost probably impossible to cover in any depth too much, but I'm, I know you're going to give us some great insights. So I'm really excited for this this uh, interview today. But before we get started, I know you're you're a great entrepreneur and have many ventures. Do you want to give us a quick introduction for those that m- missed your first show? Uh, yeah, so I've got quite a few businesses in China and Hong Kong. I've established all sorts of companies from IT to restaurants to importing and wholesaling to a gym in multiple different countries. Yeah, he's being modest, so he's got a lot. It's, it's great that we got him on the show again, and and this 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 topic is really an important and critical one. And and we were saying bef- before, it's something you can't really find in a book or, or anywhere. So it's going to be a very popular show. So I, I try to put the title "Managing Chinese Staff" or maybe we should say "People as a Foreigner." And uh, I know you have a lot. You've been, uh, you know, feeling about this show. So, so um, what do you want to say so far? Um, I think the first step is uh, we have to analyze ourselves, and we have to we have to basically look at ourselves and, and work out what kind of uh, how we rate as far as a, a manager of people goes. 
we have to, let's pretend we're from America. How do we rate ourselves managing the relationship we have with our spouse? Let's pretend our wife, probably six, seven out of 10. I'm sure wife's thinking six out of 10, not seven out of 10. She was going to rank us. What about our kids, our relationship with our kids? How well do we manage them? I'm sure kids think there's some room for improvement. I don't see the kids handing out an eight too easily, an eight out of 10. Well, so we've got to look and analyze how we, uh, how our relationship goes with our, let's pretend we're a business owner with our own staff in America. How do our staff rate our performance? They're probably not handing out nines very easily, probably sevens at best. Um, let's pretend we're a highly paid employee working for an employer and they're thinking about sending us over to China. Uh, how do we, how's our relationship with the rest of the staff and management? It's probably okay if they're thinking about sending us over to China, but is it a 10? Is it a nine? Probably not probably closer to an eight. So I think the first reality is we have to understand is that we're probably average at best at uh, managing people, maybe maybe seven out of 10, seven and a half out of 10. So we have to understand this reality before we even think on embarking on the most difficult task of all, going over to China, one of the most difficult business environments in the world and managing Chinese people. It is, it is true. And I've I've also managed quite a few Chinese in, in my time here. And I, I guess I'll have to be honest, I never really managed people in my home country in the U.S. So I, I didn't really have management experience when I came here. But some people, I think even my dad would tell me that it might be good to not have experience in a different place because you're like kind of a clean slate. Or do you think, I guess, but it might be good to have some experience. Can you really transplant, do you think, the Western management experiences into China? Well, I think you're actually lucky in not having any experience before coming here because it's all new and your starting point is a point from learning. You essentially know that you know nothing because you haven't done it before. Um, it would be much harder actually having done it in America and having lots of perceptions and then coming over here and actually maybe not even knowing that most of them are wrong before you start. True. So I think one of the first things somebody starting a new venture in over here in mainland China is, you know, you read the books and I think a lot of times they usually say find a local partner. So if you know, somebody's fresh fresh off the boat or off the plane, starting some new business, do they go to these networking parties and and uh find a partner or should they go about it on their own or, or I know this is a tough one, but I'd I'd love any of your insights. I think the starting point is we've already established that we're average, maybe a bit better than average at reading people, knowing people, managing people. And now we're thinking about coming over to China, one of the most complicated business environments in the world, and meeting a Chinese person, lots of Chinese people who are, some people say, inscrutable, not easy to read. And we're going to attempt to read one of these people and decide that that person is our perfect business partner. We both put lots of money in, invest lots of money, and just hope that it's all going to work out well. I think it's like there's a really high chance of failure. Uh, my favorite saying to uh, many people when I meet them and they're thinking about coming to China is the majority of what they believe to be true is actually the opposite. It's not true. Whatever they believe to be true, the opposite is more likely to be true. So you're coming into China and you're thinking about, think you can magically choose the right business partner. Actually, the truth is there's probably a high 90% chance you've chosen the wrong person or you're going to choose the wrong person because you don't really know anything about China or Chinese people. It's pretty much guaranteed you're going to choose the wrong person. So at the start is not the time to be choosing your partner. True. And then, so with, yeah, I usually also tell people don't register, you know, then people think they have to register a company right away and joint venture, woofy, all these different things. But I think people uh, should take their time, research the market in China, feel, feel things out, meet the right people, try to get some feedback on your product or service. Yeah, it seems like what you would also... 
Yeah, absolutely. You're not realistically, you're not going to magically find the perfect business partner day one. It's just not happening. So the first few months in China, you've really got to be doing research. You've got to be determining which city is the best city to set up in. Is it Beijing? Is it Shanghai? Is it Shenzhen? Is it Guangzhou? Or is it another city for a specific reason? Is it Dongguan for manufacturing reasons? So you've really got to spend time choosing your city first. Then you've got to decide what kind of company you're going to be setting up. And you really need to speak to a lot of different people and you need to travel to these different cities. Rather than attempting to find the business partner that's going to save the day, I think a better goal would be to identify good mentors, smart people that have been there, have been successful, they've made money and attempting to establish a relationship with them and maybe getting them to be uh, to give you insights because when you're running your company, that's truly what you need. You need someone to tell you, do this, don't do that. That's a smart idea. That's a terrible idea. So identifying good mentors is probably a very, very good thing. And they don't even have to be in the same industry. So much of what China, doing business in China is about is understanding China. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs that are over here in China do multiple, uh, multiple different industries. So the art is actually understanding China as opposed to a specific industry. Great. And yeah, so mentors are definitely great. And hopefully they can find them as they're on the ground in China at these maybe networking events and, and doing their research and, and, uh, and on, on the ground in their day to day. I know this is a, I was going to meet a pretty complex questions here, but are very vast questions. So let's maybe say we found a, well, who we think is the right partner, maybe three or six months later. Then we're managing, getting the operations going, hiring, managing staff. A lot of times they think, people say like, that's what the partner, the Chinese partner is for is the operations, like the logistics, the China business side, like, you know, let the foreigner, the Westerner worry about the sales or marketing or, or their, what they know well. Is that the case you think? Or should the, the foreigner also still kind of stay involved with the, the staff and the management of the operations in China? Wow, yeah, great question. The first step is that you're going to have to establish a company. Most companies in China, whether it's a foreign representative office, whether it's a FICE, Foreign Investor China Enterprise, or a Wolfie Hollyone Foreign Enterprise, all of those require someone to be the legal representative. So this is a starting point. What does legal representative mean? That means if anything goes wrong, it's your fault and you will end up in jail. Alternately, you have total power. It's your company. You run it. You have final say. You are essentially a dictator. Um, this system exists because China needs people. The whole limited liability company idea that we use in the West, it wouldn't work over here. They need people to be responsible for their actions. So it's actually a legal requirement. So is it going, the first question, is it going to be you or is it going to be the Chinese business partner? So I, I, I'm a legal rep in my, my company here. <laughs> Some people say it's really dangerous to do that or... I've heard people say even there's services you can pay like on the gray market for other people to be your legal rep that don't be the legal rep. But I know, like you said, it's, it's also gives you a lot of power. Like with great responsibility comes great power. So you do have this power. I don't know. Do you want to make a stab at suggesting who should be the legal rep? Yes, you must be the legal representative. There's no point in coming over here, setting up a company and having someone else be the legal representative. Yes, okay, you've... You've gotten rid of a bit of liability, but what are you afraid of? Don't do anything wrong. Don't rob banks. Um, as long as you're not breaking the law in an in a, in a extensive way, there shouldn't be an issue. The key point is you must be in control of your company. So the first step is you must be legal representative. Second step, the accounting side of it. 
doesn't doesn't matter if you're not really good at accountancy, you must learn, you must master. Every single penny that goes in and out of the company, you must sign off on. If someone else is running the accounts, you're going to wake up one day with really, really bad news. And I'll wait up and you're legal representative and liable for all of that. So you must be legal representative and you must sign for every penny in and out. So the, fir- the first issue is, should, you be, uh, should or shouldn't you be the legal representative? Yes, you must be. Secondly, you must have some sort of control over the financial department and accounts in that every penny in and out you must sign off on. You must be aware of every penny in and out. You must have every penny in and out will be registered uh, through your company bank accounts, can be registered on your phone so you can actually have a record of every single penny in and out. That's really, really important. Another one is the relationship you have with your employees. You have to sign the contract with them. You want them loyal to you, not to anybody else. Now, some people don't bother too much with employee contracts. Some people do it in a half-hearted way. This is so important. If you get it wrong, you'll end up in the Labor Bureau, and that's not a fun process. So the most important, maybe one of the smartest strategies is wherever you're going to choose to do your business, there actually is a little Labor Bureau office where an employee would go and complain because they have been uh, hard done by by their employee. So my suggestion, actually go there, talk to the lawyers who are paid by the government to be there and ask one of them or retain the services of their law firm to actually help you do your contracts in a proactive way. Your goal is not to cheat the employees. Your goal is to have a honest, fair contract that protects their interests and your interests. And if it's done by the the people that are going to represent any employee who might be complaining about your poor performance or uh, are essentially saying that you've cheated them, the fact that you've actually gone to the Labor Bureau, uh, sent you to the Labor Bureau, sourced your lawyer from there, and they've helped you draw up your contract, it's, it's going to make you look pretty good if it ever does end up in court. And also, the fact that the Labor Court lawyers have drawn it up, there are probably going to be less holes in it than any other contract. So you don't really want a normal lawyer for these labor, uh, for labor contracts. You actually need someone who specializes in doing this because if they don't specialize, they don't know. And why not employ the people that would be coming after you if something goes wrong? Yeah, I like that a lot. I, I've, I've been kind of kicking around a template I use a lot and I've used, uh, but of course going to the labor department, I haven't yet been to one. I've had phone calls, but I haven't seen one. Are, are they in every district? Yeah. Every single district, every single sub-district will have one. Um, I assume that there's a website and it lists where they all are because when a, when a Chinese employee is unhappy, there, there has to be a go-to telephone number. But um, they are in every district, yes. Got it. So we're managing staff. So I like that. Yeah, I agree. I think we should, we, they should have a relationship with us even if we have a local partner. They should, they should know us and, and know that we're involved in the business so, so there, we found the. Let's assume we found the right partners and the right staff. You know, how do you keep them happy? And mo- I mean, that's a tricky thing anywhere in the world. We're, it's just like we opened this uh, conversation. You know, managing and incentivizing employees. Any any kind of tips you have there? Well, once again, the first step is to understand that our employees are not American or English or French or German. They are Chinese. Their primary loyalty is to their family their mother, their father, and maybe a, uh, a brother or a sister. That is their primary loyalty. They'll never be more loyal to an employer than they will to their family. As opposed to the West, in the West we're encouraged to leave home as soon as possible. Um, in China, parents and children are just bound to each other forever. So 
once again, acknowledging that you'll never be able to get staff to be more loyal to you than they will be to their family, that's a good starting point as far as understanding their psychology and how to incentivize them. So, Chinese person working in your company, when dealing with their, their family, how do they make their family proud of them and proud of their performance? Well, Chinese New Year, they have to perform. What does performance mean? It's not coming back with a bag of Christmas presents. It's coming back with hongbaos, red envelopes, stuffed full of 100 RMB notes or whatever note they stuff in them. This decides whether the child is a good child or not. The more money in those hongbaos, the better the child is. So understanding that at that time of the year, if you're not putting, if you're not ensuring that your employee goes back and looks good in the eyes of their parents, the parents are going to be saying, well, what's going on here? You're obviously working for a bad guy. What? Everyone, all my neighbors are getting hongbaos. Where's my hongbao? What's going on? So you've really got to understand that. Then you've got to factor in the different Chinese holidays and the fact that hongbaos are given at multiple different times. You have to address all these issues. Your workers have to be giving little hongbaos to their parents, their family, their extended network during these times. Otherwise, they will essentially not conspire against you, but they're just going to point out reality from a Chinese context, which is you're a bad guy. True. Yeah, I mean, it's always the family, the culture pressures, right? It's, it's not the choice of the maybe that employee or that individual family is first. It's, it's also, I like that the in Chinese, the family name, the last name is first and then their given name. Whereas in you know, the West, we have Marcus you know, and Mike first, but in, in, uh, in Asia, it's, it's family first. Um, investors, which maybe is similar to maybe a business partner or you know, a Chinese partner, I've had different different tastes of this. I, I know you've been in this a lot with different ventures. How, how about this relationship uh, management? It's also a very, very hard one. The first question you've really got to ask yourself is, well, you obviously need the money. You need additional funds because you're searching out an investor. The real goal is establishing from day one what you require of the investor. Some investors, would I, like what I would do if I did need funds in a business, I'd identify business. Uh, business partners that could contribute to the business. So dumb money is not really very useful. Try and identify smart money. Maybe it's somebody that is in that field and they can introduce customers to the business. Maybe it's just a super, super smart person who's got a couple of decades of experience in the country you're about to do business in and you're taking some investment from them just to have their, have their wisdom on board. The fact that they've got money in the company means they've got skin in the game. They'll be giving you good advice. Essentially, you don't want dumb money, you want smart money and you've got to lay, lay out your expectations of those investors clearly and concisely. You don't really want investors calling you up every couple of days asking what's going on, how's the company going. You don't want investors micromanaging the business. So that agreement you have with your investors at the start, it has to be quite clear. You you have to help them manage their expectations uh, via, and that agreement is, is the tool to do that. That'll avoid disputes, arguments. So that, that original contract is really quite important and they have to be able to contribute. You don't want dumb money, you want smart money. That's That's true. This is where I think the the books and the stories always get fun is emergencies or when things kind of go wrong uh, with managements, maybe different cultural differences or management differences, offenses made, uh, you know, feelings hurt, any, ex- ex- you know, ways to address this or, or stories we can learn from? Having a business relationship with a Chinese person is really like establishing a a, a new friendship. I mean, a lot of the people you're going to be partnering up with are probably going to be male. So if you're a male, most of the people coming over here are male. 
um, really it's a, it's a male bonding session, really. It's um, creating brotherhood, creating a new friend. The art to managing your Chinese business partner is they'll want to turn you into a brother. Um, you'll eat together, you'll drink together, you'll socialize together. Essentially, you're becoming part of their family and they're becoming part of your family. It's intertwining both families and and you intertwining into their network and them intertwining into your work, network. That kind of ensures that there is less likelihood of cheating, essentially. Okay. So maybe with staff, if there's some issues with staff or... Who you know if if how can we amend make amends if if someone is, is something you should immediately face or should we face it directly as a West foreigner should we have somebody as a mediator? Uh, okay, so as far as dealing with staff goes, um, I think one of the first things as far as dealing with staff goes is your relationship with them. The reality is you're in China, you don't really know much, but you're in charge. They actually know what's going on. And they're underneath you. They're used to being managed by Chinese people, Chinese business owners who, who tell them, I'm the boss, do as I say. However, what we require of them is, and it takes time to get them there, is we have to have a really good relationship with them. You have to, we have to be telling them, look, I, I have this idea. I think this is what we should be doing going forward. Thoughts, guys, am I, is what we're about to do a good idea, a bad idea? Does anyone have some important insight as to why this is a terrible idea? Um, this relationship you have with your staff is so important. They actually, what I found is they actually are incredibly good at giving you great insights and it almost gets to the stage where they can be running your company for you and it just massively avoids dumb mistakes. So you have to definitely avoid a, a dictatorial approach and you have to embrace this partnership. Now the downside to this partnership is sometimes they become a little bit belligerent if, if you don't take their uh, suggestions on board. So it really is explaining why, in this instance, you're not going to be taking their suggestions on board and why you're going to go in a, in a specific direction. And maybe it's related to some something that you know because you're a foreigner and, and they might not, might not be relevant to them because it's due to your product being sold in the Western market. But really, it's that, it's that dialogue that is so important. And once you have that relationship with them, once, once you're talking instead of talking equal to them almost as equals, as opposed to talking down to them, so many problems that other people might face, you won't be facing. True. Yeah, I think also maybe having these regular dinner parties or, you know, activities maybe with your staff and it's also great. And I think if one gets offended at something, you know, I think also a lot of times uh, we're Westerners are more direct, right? A little bit of, Type A kind of, especially for in another foreign country where entrepreneurs, you know, so sometimes they might offend offend them. Just certain staff might be more sensitive. So I sometimes, you know, try not to be direct, like saying you're wrong or you made a mistake, uh, because they might lose face or, you know, get offended, right? Or absolutely. Um, as far as managing all people, no one really likes being told they're dumb or they did something <laughs> wrong. I think it's always best to focus on the positive. And um, yeah, it's just treating them with respect and having a conversation. Um, a smile goes a long way. Yeah, just, just having essentially a good relationship with them is the key. Cool. Okay, so, so we're getting towards the end and you know, I always like to put in some kind of stories or context. So do you have any, anything based on what we talked about that you can share about partners and employees and, and relationships here? Yeah, well, uh, one of, there's one business partner I, I have that 
We've established two companies together. Both have been successful. His name is Marshall Taplitz. The interesting thing about him is we're quite different. He's Jewish. I'm not religious. He's an introvert. I'm more of an extrovert. He's American. I'm Australian. Being a bit of a technology guy, he's a self-confessed geek, whereas I'm sort of more into extreme sports. Uh, my background, you could probably call more sales and marketing. His background, definitely more technology. So the interesting thing here is that we are quite different. We're, we're almost polar opposites, but it works. He's strong where I'm weak. I'm strong where he's weak. When he's working on something related to technology to the business in question, I can't really interfere too much. And so that reduces arguments. When I'm working on something sales and marketing-wise, he's going to trust my call on it. So we're also minimizing our um, opportunities to argue. And the beautiful thing is he's strong where I'm weak. I'm, I'm strong where he's weak. It, it just synergistically, it's just beautiful. And it, it makes the, the partnership really good and really strong. So it's not, you're not actually, when you're looking for that partner, I think the secret is finding someone who isn't like you at all, who can do all the things that you can't do. And that will positively impact the business as much as possible. So, um, yeah, shout out to Marshall Taplists. Great. Yeah, Marshall's, Marshall's a good friend of mine too. We'll link him up on the show notes so you can check out his... his uh, he's also a prolific entrepreneur with many different biz- businesses and family businesses and uh, all kinds of things too. So thank you so much, Marcus. I know this was a tough topic with a lot of different angles so you did a great job is how about what you're up to today or or i'm sure people are interested we can of course put your linkedin or other other things on the show notes but is there any business you'd like to to highlight for listeners about what you're working on um yes so if you're going to operate in china or even asia you have to be very very aware of what's going on up in beijing the new the new ruler of china xi jinping he's got his one belt one road strategy so to me, that's very important. If the leader of a, one point, a country with 1.4 million people in it, one of the fastest growing economies in the world, has decided that one belt, one road's important, I'd better be listening. So my focus has shifted a little bit more to consultancy-type opportunities. There are a lot of Chinese companies and a lot of rich Chinese people that now are starting to focus on Southeast Asia, Asia, the Pacific, and Africa. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm basically spending a lot of time problem solving for large companies and super rich people. And it's really, really pleasurable. It, it's great. All right, Marcus. So thank you so much. I know this was a tough topic to discuss and I'm really happy you agreed to come on and share. So I'm sure listeners are excited to, to maybe ask you some questions or, or uh, check you out. What's the best way people can reach out? Um, if anybody has any questions or um, wants some insights, uh, please go to globalfromasia.com slash Marcus and I'll answer any questions there. Okay, great. Thanks and uh, enjoy the rest of your time here and uh, great to get you on the show. Thanks a lot, Michael. Thank you, Marcus, for coming on and sharing so openly and uh, I'm sure this will be another popular show and if you guys can just thank him for that, it'd be amazing. And also don't forget Cross Border Summit 2017, April 14th and 15th, two-day event here in Shenzhen, China, English language, international. We got people from UK already interested in America, already interested in uh, Holland and all around. It's going to be pretty awesome. So I'm really excited and we're going to be working on it hard these next five or six months now. So 
let's see how the world turns out by then. You know, 2016 is almost over. Can you believe that? And we had Brexit and we had Trump and a lot of other other things happening. Uh, the king of Thailand passed away, which was wild. I was actually in Thailand when it happened. And as business owners, you know, that's part of the risks of politics, international business. But we have to just stay nimble, keep an open mind and keep on learning. Enjoy your week, everybody. And uh, see you next week. Episode 150 is next week. Take care. Bye-bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.